Well, we've been blessed today with our children reading Scripture and playing the piano. We're going to have a new rule at Anderson. All children must learn a musical instrument by next week. I've heard that uh, it's supposed to help you with your schoolwork. Expands the mind. So I know that's why my mind is so shrunk. I never learned to play a piano or a musical instrument. I might fiddle, but I don't really play the violin. This morning we're going to go into Corinth. Corinth, great cosmopolitan city in which what we would now call Greece. We will be looking a little bit at uh, some of the sins in San Francisco, Las Vegas, New York, and even Little Anderson. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And before we open the Word of God, what do we always do? We need the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's invite God's Spirit to open our minds. Father in heaven, we thank you for the amazing sacrifice of your Son Jesus, for the whole plan of salvation for the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit who wants to dwell within us and to mold and shape us into the lovely image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us as we open your word this morning. We're looking at just a few verses, but uh, may there be something there for each person gathered here this morning. May we all uh, commit ourselves to you and surrender our will to you be covered by the, the, the righteousness and the blood of Jesus Christ is our prayer in his name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we kind of jump in the middle of a discussion, a discussion on lawsuits. And I've decided not to really get into that material. Maybe that's a sermon for some other time. I want to pick it up in verses 9, 10, and 11. But before I read those, that scripture with you, I clearly need to give you some background. The church in Corinth was a church that Paul had planted, the apostle Paul had planted. And it probably wasn't any easier in those days to plant a Christian church in a cosmopolitan city than it is today. Now, there are some parts of the world today where it truly seems that doors are opening, right? There are places in Inter-America and South America and, and certainly many places in Africa, uh, even places like India that were very hard to reach, um, many years ago, are, are now some parts of India are wide open to hear about Jesus Christ. And if you stand on a soapbox on a street corner, you might have 100, 200, 300 people listening to you. It's not like that in our culture here. And I think our culture here is, is very similar to as it was in Paul's day. There was huge problems with sin, so we're going to talk about sin this morning. Not just sin, because then you'd leave discouraged. But we're going to talk a little bit about sin this morning. Sin as, 
as Paul describes it in Corinth, in this cosmopolitan city. And as I said in the introduction, the sins that we see in Corinth are the sins that are in our society today. They are the sins that, that cross your door at the, in the workplace, via the TV. All around us are these sins. And Paul wants the church members in Corinth to understand what God has called them to. There's going to be a clear distinction made in these verses between between the righteous and the wicked. And it seems that the church members were not really clear either which side they were on or how, how much righteous people can play around with sin. There's confusion here. Let's read the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, some of you might need to use the Bible in the pews, so let me give you a, a page number so you can easily find that. Okay, that is on page 1777. Did I say 666? No. 1777. And we're going to pick it up in verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, who are the wicked? Who are these people that are not going to inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. Do you not know? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, is that list clear enough? Because I could give you other lists that Paul has given to us. And I'm sure that Paul is not giving us an exhaustive list. He's probably giving us sins that were especially a problem in the city of Corinth and more importantly, in the church of Corinth. Now, Pastor, what are you talking about this morning? You're not telling us that these sins of the city invaded the church? Yes, I am. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. Now, I don't know if every sin on this list was in the church of Corinth, but obviously some of them were. And if we had time to read the earlier chapters of 1 Corinthians, just looking, for example, at the beginning of chapter 1 or the beginning of chapter 6, you can see that there were divisions in the church. There were people that had um, strong opinions on different things. Unity of the church was not so important as I am right and I'm going to have my way. And if I have to have my way, take you to the court and the lawsuit, so be it. And that's exactly what we find in chapter 6. 
church members suing one another. Now, they must have lived in a, in a culture, in a society, that that was very acceptable. Sometimes I'm amazed when I turn the TV on and watch Judge Judy. And I can't remember the names of some of the others, but there seems to be a Hispanic judge and a judge for this and a judge for that, right? And some of the petty stuff that comes up there, you've got this intelligent judge wasting his or her time on this seemingly petty stuff that people should be able to work out one to another. Well, maybe we're saying that's asking too much for people that are not Christians. I really don't think it is, but what about the church? Paul says it's better to be defrauded than to to shame the name of Christ by hauling your brother and sister into court and maybe belittling them, making a fool of them, and having your own way. Christianity is not about having your own way. Christianity is about having Christ's way, God's way in what we do, right? And when you, when you and I come to the point of, of saying, not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done in every area of my life, then we will be beginning to understand what Christianity is all about. So look at this list as I've just read it. Um, Picking it up in verse 9. He's defining who the wicked are. As I said, the list is, is not exhaustive. The kingdom of God, what does that mean? The kingdom of God is a phrase that was on the lips of, of Jesus right at the beginning of his public ministry. Um, Sometimes you'll hear the phrase kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. We're talking about the same, the same thing. We're talking about the reign of God, the rule of God, God's way of doing things. I noticed that when I looked at some of the, the uh, commentators when they, they um, talk about this, many of them, especially pastors, will tend to talk of heaven. The kingdom of God doesn't mean heaven. Even the kingdom of heaven doesn't mean heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, means the rule of God, the ways of God. His dominion, whether that be heaven, as we understand it, earth, or the whole universe, or something maybe even more than that. And it's clearly the place that the righteous go to, but not the wicked. So right here we have, we're going to have, I haven't finished reading the passage, but we're going to have a division of humanity. You see it early on in the beginning of, of Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned. And when sin came into this world, you had a divided humanity. That's what sin does. Sin always divides us, right? If you get a husband and wife and, and one of them decides to go and commit adultery, and we've heard some examples of that in, in the media with very famous politicians or actors or famous people, well, 
the husband goes and commits adultery, what does the wife do? Shrug her shoulders and say, no big deal, and just carry on as usual. When, when, when the sin is known, there's division. She might go and file for divorce, or children might be separated, and you, you, most of you, every, most, almost everybody in this room has been affected in some way, shape, or form with sin in their own lives or sin in their families. Sin is a divider. Sin is, is something that separates us from what is the best, from what is right and pure and godly. Let's look briefly at, at this list here. Sexual immorality. Well, that covers, it's kind of like a, it sounds like a kind of general term, but then he gets, it gets a little bit specific here when he talks about idolaters. And we were talking in our class briefly about that this morning. You can uh, always find people worshiping something. Today in our culture, they're worshiping money, greed, Wall Street, some of the scandals that have happened in the financial markets, which don't just affect uh, an, a, an important nation like the United States, but can have a global impact because we have economies that are tied together with different nations. And so, greed, idolatry, uh, all of these are, are kind of linked together. Adulterers, most of us know uh, what an adulterer is. Uh, it's hard to find a marriage where people can stay together any longer. It's hard to find a marriage where, where the partners will look out for one another, will, will always try and put the best interest of their spouse first. It's hard to find a marriage where there's not something going on behind the scenes, something illicit, something immoral. I don't know how a non-Christian... I know there's non-Christians that can have good marriages, right? But it's so hard to bring two strangers together and have them to be one, which is the biblical goal for marriage. In Ephesians 5, the two shall be what? One. This is a great mystery, Paul says. You better believe it. And he goes on to speak of Christ and the church and uses marriage, or a godly marriage, as a metaphor for what a Christian church and a Christian Christians should really be one to another. So adulterers, male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. Some of the Greek words that are used here are kind of important. I'm not gonna I have them if you're interested. You can talk to me after the sermon if you want more more specifics. Um, but some some in the gay community say no, no the Bible is not against homosexuality. Um, the Bible is against promiscuous homosexuality. Well, Paul uses two different Greek words here for homosexuality. He talks of what they call passive homosexuality and active homosexuality. Paul, as a pastor, had church members that were affected by this. And I don't know what you think of Paul. I, I, I feel that I really feel that Paul gets a bad rap 
a lot of women don't think is, is very pro-female. Pro and uh, find that his, many find that his teachings are hard to understand. I personally think with Paul, you have a great pastor. You have a really great pastor. Before you have a great theologian, you have a great pastor. He has a pastor's heart, and he wants to help people. And he knows from his own experience, he knows that when a person is a slave to sin, there's no way that they can be pleasing to God. He knows that. And he also knows the, the emancipation that comes, the freedom that comes when God's Spirit truly takes a hold of an individual and sets them free from the sin. With Paul, it was when he understood truly spiritually understood, thou shalt not covet. Imagine, here's this brilliant man, seemingly totally dedicated to God, who's, who's like a child prodigy, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest Jewish teachers that's ever lived, and every day they are becoming more and more experts in the law. In the letter of the law not in the spirit of the law. That was a great mistake that the Jewish people made. Jesus came along as a good Jew teaching the spirituality of God's laws. Because thou shalt not covet gets into the desires of the heart. And what Christianity is teaching, what Paul is teaching, when, when we use words like gospel, and good news of Jesus. We are talking of God penetrating the human heart and changing the desires of the human heart so that they're in harmony with God. And that's why Paul says that this good news of Jesus, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think we really miss, we really miss maybe the most important part of what it means to believe in Jesus when we just talk about forgiveness of sins. Because we kind of make the gospel almost a cheap thing, as though it's all about just getting my sins forgiven and me squeezing through the pearly gates. And that's a travesty of what God is doing for us. God is setting us free from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. And if our gospel doesn't do that, if our gospel doesn't change lives then it's just an ideology amongst millions of ideologies. There's nothing special about it. It's interesting, yes. But if I cannot experience that power so that I can live a life, a life that God's asking me to live, then where is the value of that? Turn in your Bibles to, uh, well, right to the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Keep your finger here. We're going back to it in just a moment. Right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Now, if you haven't picked it up already, before I'm through, you probably will. And I know that some of you know it already. This was a real problem church. You know, there are some churches that when the conference president phones you up and says, Pastor, you're going to such and such a church. I'm sending you to the church of Corinth. The pastor's knees buckle and they go, Oh, No! Because you know that there's certain church congregations that just have a multitude of problems. Corinth was one of them. 
And, and yet, as confused and as, as perplexed as they were, and many of them up to their necks in sin, Paul still addresses them as, as saints. He says in chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all of those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And then he goes on to speak very positively to them until we get to verse 10. And then he addresses the sins, the divisions in the church. But notice first, he tells them who they are. He reminds them who they are in Christ. That's the gospel. The gospel gives you status. Do you understand that? It's telling you who you are. Here in this context, it's, it's not using the word justification. It's using the word sanctification. Earlier, earlier I said to, in my class, I kind of picked on them a little bit. What does what the word sanctification mean? And Does it mean status? Does it mean progression? Does it mean goal? Yes, all of those three, and probably more. We often give it the wrong meaning because we often just talk of it as a progressive thing. But, but here, no, you were sanctified. You have been sanctified. And of course, all of that is through the Christ. When we think of sanctification, we think of we think of the sanctuary service. We think of a holy God, and we're unholy. How can we approach Him? Well, He will sanctify. He will, he will declare the ground holy, take your shoes off. That is the sanctification, setting apart um, for God. So, the, so these church members were indeed that. Many of them had tasted of the gospel. They knew the power of the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, Another important verse in this context here. He says, I'm not ashamed, in verse 16 of Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And salvation does not just mean forgiveness. Salvation means health. Health. Total health. That's what salvation ultimately means. So, so sometimes we give these narrow definitions and they can be helpful. They can be helpful so you can kind of grasp things, hang some things on hooks in your head. But ultimately, the one that God calls, the one that God saves, is the one that's going to be holy. There's no alternative. You and I are not going to spend eternity with God if we're practicing some of those sins, right? That we read about in 1 Corinthians 6. We can be practicing those sins, and I'm sure these members in Corinth were, when they heard the good news of Jesus Christ and, they, and faith came. It didn't come from their bootstraps. It came from the Holy Spirit. And faith was exercised. The connection with Christ was made. And as soon as that faith connects with Jesus Christ, as soon as that connection is made, just like putting the plug in the wall, the electricity flows through. The power of God flows through. So you can be one day in the gutter, really enjoying it. Now, not everyone enjoys gutter life, for sure. But some do. Some are so blinded that they, they don't know any better. 
But one day you can be in the gutter, and the next day you can be in paradise. You can be sanctified. Is it possible? There are people in this room that have experienced that. I've experienced that. What I talk about is not theory, it's experiential. And it was experiential for Paul, and it's experienced for every person that is truly a Christian. There's a lot that say they're Christians who are not Christians. They've never been converted. They've never felt that power of God flowing through them, taking them from a life of sin towards a life of holiness. That's what Christianity is. It's a changed life. Uh, one of our church members is witnessing to her employer, and I gave her um, a testimony which I actually should share with you in detail sometime of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a Chicago journalist working for the Chicago Tribune, uh, probably pretty good at, at his job. But he was a man that was not saved. He was a man that would mock Christianity. He was a very secular person that lived in Chicago. I suppose most people that live in Chicago uh, have that kind of mentality. But anyway, he was willing to destroy colleagues. He was willing to do whatever he had to do to climb the ladder. Isn't that what sin does? Sin will stomp on you. That's why I've always found it hard to believe in evolution. Evolution teaches that the way to get ahead is to stomp and to destroy those in our way. Very different than what the Bible teaches about Christianity. But Lee Strobel came to Christ uh, essentially in a way through his wife. First the wife responded, got an invitation to church, went to church. She was just ripe. She was ready to be plucked. You know, Jake, the fruit's got to be ripe before you pluck it. She was ripe, but Lee wasn't. So here's the wife coming back, and, and he was really threatened with her what, going to church. Kind of like me when I first came to Christ and my family, you're going to church? I mean, it's like, this is a nightmare. Terry was so normal, and now he's so weird, he's going to church. That's how secular people think. You know, in the first century or in the early centuries, they used to say that Christians were cannibals because they sacrificed at, at, the, at the, the wine, the, blood and the, blood, the grape juice and, and the bread. And they had all sorts of strange ideas what, what these Christians do. And it really hasn't changed very much in this day and age. But eventually there was, there was praise God, and I, and, I, and I know we have differences of opinion on this, but there was a church set up to reach secular people. And at first, Lee fought against it. His wife embraced it. She kept nagging him. There is holy nagging. You know that. There is holy nagging. Not all nagging is holy, but there is holy nagging. So she was holy nagging him, and eventually he responded, and he liked the music. Might have been music that many of us would not like as Christians, but he liked the music, so he would kind of sit and, and didn't really go for the sermon, which, which also was targeting the secular person. But eventually, God got his man. And Lee Strobel was converted and, and is a very interesting speaker. Uh, talks a lot about witnessing, 
Um, so I'd like to share his testimony with you and, and maybe some of his material on witnessing sometime. And, and I'm using him as, as a modern example of a man that was totally into Corinth and totally into the sins of Corinth and never desired anything else. But God called him to be sanctified, to be holy, and to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I tell you folks, I know there's some people this morning, because of what's been in the media, the, the gay community has been very clever at working the angles in politics, through the media, TV especially, even having gay comedy programs that can be really funny. But, if, but the net effect is a tolerance for homosexuality within American culture. It's not all, that's not all bad. We're not to be going around bad-mouthing these people. We ought to love them as Christ loved them. Do you think there were no homosexuals in Jesus' ministry? As there were homosexuals in Paul's ministry? But we do have to call sin by its right name. God hates the sin, but what does what? Loves the sinner. Can we think in our heart of hearts? Can we think the same way? Are we, are we honest enough? Are we loving enough to call sin by its right name? Not just for the gays. There's plenty of, home, there's plenty of adultery going on. There's plenty of fornication going on. It's all sin, is it not? And it all means clearly that we'll be excluded from the kingdom of God. People practicing these sins are excluded from the kingdom of God. Okay, that's the bad news. It's the truth, but in essential, essentially it's a negative. Let's look at the positive. So he's talked about homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. He's reminding them about their past situation, but he's also reminding them about when they came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you were that way. But what happened? But you were washed. In the Greek it says, but you were sanctified. The NIV has taken some prepositions out here. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What you, this is what you used to be. Remember from where you've come from. That's always a healthy thing to do, by the way. Sometimes we, we will run ahead of the Lord. And, and, and even Ellen White will say when she talks about Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, we have nothing to fear for the future except we forget our past history, the things that God has done in our history to make us a people, right? Well, you can do that individually too. It's, it's very good to have uh, a time of reflection and, and look back at the, at the, 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 the big moments in your life when God did something for you. 
and you can clearly see the leading of God. So such some of you were, but now you are washed. You are sanctified. Have you ever been really, really dirty, so the dirt's so bad that it's up your nose and it's just all over the place, and then you just get in the shower and it just washes, washes away? Does it feel good? Or some of us get baptized and, whoa, we feel so close to God. Have you ever seen someone come out of a baptismal tank frowning? Boy, that was the pits. Not usually. I don't ever remember anyone doing that. So it's good to be washed. And of course, the emphasis here is not on baptism. The emphasis is on the Holy Spirit washing your sins away because somehow, some way, in the mysteries of God, you have trusted in His only gift to deal with sin, the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. Now, I know that all of those things are not mentioned here, but Jesus is mentioned, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very hard for Paul to talk about justification and sanctification and being washed without mentioning the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice also the Spirit is mentioned, the Holy Spirit. He's the one that makes all of these things happen, is He not? Um, some of you have said to me, you need to teach more on the Holy Spirit. I think you're right. I think I do. I think that's one thing that would help strengthen our church here in Anderson. How does he work in our lives? To me, he's the, he's the one that woos us to God. He attracts us to God. He's the one that brings us into this relationship with God. He's the one that doesn't abandon us. No, he continues working with us to make us all that God wants us to be. He's the representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's what we call the third person of the Godhead. Um, you can see the tre tremendous transformation when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. How these, yes, followers of Jesus, but these baby followers of Jesus, these men called, called apostles, how they were transformed when the Holy Spirit really did the work in their lives. Were they finished products? No. Peter certainly had a lot of growing to do after Pentecost, even though God used him in such an amazing way to bring thousands of people into God's kingdom. But the work is not finished. It's never finished until we see Christ in glory. One day Jesus Christ will come back and He will give us a body like His own glorious body, so we call that glorification. It's kind of like the end product of, of salvation, isn't it? It's the end product of all of this justification and sanctification and walking with Jesus. The end product is like, boom. He just seals you in uh, right at the end. But we have a foretaste of it now. All of us who experience the power of God in our lives have a foretaste of heaven. And we should lay the emphasis on a changed life. We should share our testimony with other people. And hey, if your testimony is, is about two hours, like mine is, well, you've got to get it down to three minutes. Or sometimes 20 seconds. I mean, you don't, sometimes you don't have a whole lot to work with. 
you're just meeting people in passing, yes? And sometimes not so. Sometimes you have your neighbors and you know, you know your neighbor's going to be there tomorrow or maybe next week. You might have other opportunities to witness, but you certainly, you rarely get your two hours worth in. So you've got to get it down and emphasize something real simple, but lay the emphasis on God changing the life. And I don't care where where the person is. Don't hold anyone at arm's length. Jesus didn't do that. In fact, the holiest man who ever lived on planet Earth attracted the worst of the sinners. Uh, That's that's something to wrap your mind around. How, How on earth did he do that? He must have offered them hope. There must have been something within the person of Jesus That was like a magnet drawing other people to him. Is it possible that God can work through you? Did you notice the emphasis on the Trinity right at the end in verse 11? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit, and God. That's how the Bible talks about the Trinity or the Godhead. It's easy to miss it. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all working together on your behalf. Isn't that exciting? You can smile when I say that, folks. It's good news. Somebody cares about you. Somebody loves you. And it really doesn't matter what your past was. It's what your present is now and what your future will be. God wants everyone to be saved. The whole gay community. All the Christian adulterers. There's a lot under the umbrella of Christianity who think they're right with God, but they're not. And their lives deny their faith. But God wants them all to be saved. Is it possible? God is God. Nothing's impossible with God. He wants them all to be saved, but it's never going to happen unless they link up with Jesus Christ, experience the power of God in their lives so that they are a changed life. Can they slip? Can they slip back into some of these gross sins? Yes, they can. And yes, some of these church members did. And that's why Paul reminds them who they are. There's a big difference between what you profess yourself and what God calls you and your actual behavior. There shouldn't be. There should be harmony there. But often, even from the Bible we can see, even the most sincere can fall far, right? Can God forgive them? Yes. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins written to Christians and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great God we have. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working on behalf of the human race to get them all to spend eternity with. Let's share this good news, folks, with our society, at your workplace, at school, wherever you are. Find ways, equip yourself for ministry. That's why you're called to live on planet Earth, to give God glory, share the good news of salvation with people that don't know. They don't know. They're deceived. They're in darkness. These people might be in the church. They certainly were deceived in Corinth, were they not? Otherwise, you would never have fallen into the sins. You had had all sorts of illicit stuff going on in that church. 
And yet, notice how Pastor Paul deals with it. He doesn't just say, cut these people's feet from underneath them. Let's make, let's make a public example of them. Yes, he says, sometimes we have to give this brother over to Satan for a season. That'd make an interesting sermon, wouldn't it? Give him over to Satan for a season, but ultimately love him back in the faith. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your love. It truly is amazing, Lord, and pretty hard for us to understand, and yet we know it's true, because your word says so, that each member of the Godhead is working on our behalf. To mold us, to shape us, to wash us, to sanctify us, to justify us into the beautiful image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may this not be a church family that sits on these truths. May we be a large-hearted congregation who takes the good news of Jesus out into a dark society. We know, Lord, that you have many jewels that are hidden away in the dirt of sin. Help us to discover them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.